And now, join Kevin Hart as he dives into the minds of some of your favorite celebrities. This is Gold Mines with Kevin Hart. Uh, welcome, welcome world. You already know what it is. It's another episode of Gold Mines. You know what we do here. I feel like saying it is now a disadvantage because I know you know, but I just like to reiterate it just to double down on it because there's so much understanding that goes into the great detail that this podcast provides. Uh, this is a podcast where we get inside the minds of amazing people, amazing talent, amazing, amazing individuals with journeys that I feel are best told through this platform because there's so much that you can take away, right? Gems aren't gems unless people grab and like take a hold of them and really put good use behind them. In this case, I feel like all of the people that we've had on this podcast have given us a great opportunity to do that. Today will be no different world because we have another great mind. Another great mind. I got to say somebody that I'm not only a fan of, but somebody that I have such a tremendous amount of respect for because of their work, because of their ambition, because of what they're inspired by, because of their through line to success. Uh, when you really get engaged and you really start to understand and you look deep, you find out some deep stuff. And with this guy, I found out a lot. And I can't wait for you guys to find out. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to welcome F. Gary Gray to Gold Mines. Put your hands together. Come on, F. Come on, man. How are you, sir? You look great. You look great. What's this? You brought a gift for me. I did. This I may did. be my first gift on gold mines. I've never got oh, a gift. Really? This okay, is the first one. Yeah. No, you want me to open it here? Yeah, just open it. It's it's it's, it's simple. Is it embarrassing? Like if people no, see it, they can be like, no, "That's what he got." It, him? it depends. No, okay. no, no. All right. All right. No, it's gold though. Okay. Gold Hold mines. On. Hold on. Hold we on. We did uh, we did a movie about a gold heist. Hold on, man. And, Hold on. Uh, to our listeners, so far, I opened it up. There was gold packaging around it. It's now a leather case. Leather case seems like it's providing that. You know what? You see, what, you're just a classy motherfucker. Hey, listen. You're just a classy guy, hey, bro. Listen. You're just listen. a classy guy, man. More gold mines with Kevin Hart after this. Imagine bold, naturally aged Tillamook cheddar slices melting over a burger, eating handfuls of thick cut cheddar shreds straight from the bag. Taking a bite out of an irresistibly bold block of extra sharp cheddar cheese. <sighs> we know you want to get back to streaming, but wasn't it nice to daydream about cheese for a bit? Tillamook Cheddar. Extraordinary Dairy. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say... I'm okay. When the truth is... I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say... Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Now more from Kevin Hart on Gold Mines. This is something that we need to celebrate. This is, this we, is. We did our thing. We went through it. We're done. We're finished. And I just want to share, share a cigar with you, bro, because, um, you know, 
That, and those are special cigars. Well, you're you're a special person just because of the way you think. For my listeners, he just told you what it was. It was a, a leather case filled with uh, cigars. I got about four very nice cigars. And when you talk about celebration, you can't celebrate unless there's great reason to. I feel like we definitely do have great reason to celebrate. Um, I know that we basically have about eight days before our movie does drop. But there was a lot of great detail that went into this movie. There was a lot of great conversation that you and I had before... Um, you know, you decided to actually take on the movie. It was right. seeing where my mind was, seeing how I wanted to approach the movie. And uh, I think once you saw how serious I was about the project and how desperate I was about attaching myself to the talent of you, because I <laughs> wanted you to tell this story correctly and give me the visuals that I've yet to have, mm-hmm. um, you know, you beat those conversations up and making sure that you were secure in my commitment to the project. And I And I think... To date, we know that we got that, but I think in return, I know that I got it as well. And when you mm. talk about celebrating, we're we're celebrating the complete, the complete process right. that you and I know that we embarked on, which is dope as hell. And I like that you didn't lie to me, man. You didn't lie to me. <laughs> How so? You didn't lie to me. Like you know, when I came to you, I came to you and talked to you. You know, mm. I was talking about the legend. And for those who do not know about the legend of F. Gary Gray, let me just give you a quick background, right? You're talking about a guy who came from the world of video directing, uh, from from California. Okay, this guy is uh, L.A. to the bone. You're talking about Friday. You're talking about straight out of Compton. We're talking about Italian job. We're talking about a member of the Fast and Furious franchise. Uh, but you're talking about a guy whose creativity has not only attached itself to these amazing projects, but to amazing talent. Mm. Right. Mm. Like if we really want to dig into it um, and you and I were just talking backstage, like the talent that you've been able to work with in the beginning stage uh, that has went on to do remarkable things in their career. Chris Tucker. We talked about Queen Latifah. Um, you know, we talked about most deaf uh, at one point. There's mm. a there's a nice cultural um, attachment of F. Gay to the culture. And right. even from the music videos of old mm-hmm. that had some of the biggest visuals. I mean, TLC and what you did with that video. F. Gary Gray's creative mind attached to the projects that he's really given his energy, time, uh, and love to are now evergreen, hmm. right? And talking about that, Thank you. how does that make you feel, knowing that F. Gary Gray is a cultural like legend? And now yeah. a legend in the mainstream world as well, because your box office, your box office revenue is generated over what a billion dollars now? Two billion. Two billion. You're proud of yourself. <laughs> See, you're proud of yourself. Yeah. Let's let's get into your feeling. How does that make you feel now when you get to look back on all the work that you've done and you see the success that you stand on? Um, how does it make me feel? I I I don't think about it much. I'm I'm always focused on the future, and I don't know if that's a good thing or not. I was forced to, to kind of look back for this podcast because I knew you were going to talk about some of the work from the past, but um, it feels good to be able to look back and see a lot of the talent going to do big things. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, you kind of brought it up that um, I work with some, you know, great talents at the beginning of, of their, their journeys in this, uh, in this entertainment business. And it's great to see them just thrive, man. I love the challenge of transitions, kind of similar to what you did here. But um, with Chris Tucker, he was a stand-up comedian. Mm-hmm. And I think he maybe had a line or two in a, in, in a movie before. But him transitioning from stand-up comedian to bona fide movie star 
was, you know, with Friday. And so I was happy, happy to be a part of that. We're all kids. Um, same with Queen Latifah. You know, she was obviously a, a music icon at that point, and she did some television, but her first leading role was in Set It Off. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, and I can just go down the list of people I've had the great fortune of working with who were making transitions, and um, that's just all part of it and how I feel about it. Uh, it feels great, but I just don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. You don't? No, because I, I love to learn. I love to learn. I'm just, I'm, I'm an avid reader. I'm, I'm, I'm a student. And so I don't spend a lot of time celebrating because I just feel like there's so much I need to know and I need to learn. And, um, you know, I, when, when I think about it, I think it kind of stems from uh, insecurity I had when I was younger because I didn't have the resources to go to college or film school. And so a lot of you know, my, my peers, you know, they went to NYU or USC and, and I just didn't have the resources at the time. And so um, I took a different route to film and it was just very hands-on. So um, I never lost that need to learn. And so when I'm doing movies and picking movies, part of it is learning. So I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the past. I want to I wanna go back to that. I mean, when you talk about like not having the resources that a lot of your peers had, right? And the resources, yeah. of course, is the opportunity for education, the alignment that that education brings and what can happen after you have those um, credentials under your belt, right? Sure. You go on a different way. You go on to the scrap and scrape, um, <laughs> the scrap and scrape, you know, guerrilla way, if, right. if you want to say. Um, when was it that you knew, you know what, my, my career, my opportunities are going to come from film, from my my visibility behind the lens. I think that I am destined to be a guy to make things better from a visual <laughs> perspective. When did you get that realization? Um, probably sixteen. Okay. At sixteen, I realized that I had um, I just I had people who responded to some of the stuff that I was creating in high school. Um, I moved from South Central L.A., where I grew up, to Highland Park, Illinois. And um, I always kind of tell this story about how where I lived in, when I was talking to my mother the other day, she, she said, well, we grew up in the hood, not the hood, but mm -hmm. the hood, mm -hmm. capital T-H-E. And, 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 and it was kind of like growing up in a Hughes Brothers movie. You know, they, they did Men's Society. And then I uh, went to complete high school in Illinois in the suburbs, which was like a John Hughes movie. You remember Bre Bre Breakfast Club yeah. and 16 Candles. So it was two different uh, backgrounds. And um, when I went there, I started trying to work in there. They had a television class called Giants in Action. And I did camera work and I directed and edited and things like that. And that, that's when I knew this is something I could do. And people responded to it, so that's when I decided to become a director. And where where were the uh, the resources coming from? Like when you said you had to scrap and scrape, you know, you had to figure it out. Sure. At that point, what was the hustle attached to figuring it out? What were you compiling to basically make the opportunities the opportunities that they were? What is it that you were gathering? Well, first of all, the hustle came from the streets. Yeah. You know, growing up in South uh, South Central LA, it was it was. It was beautiful. Um, it was also dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in that environment, you have to learn how to, to to just survive. You also have to be creative. When you're broke and you have a lot of money and you're on welfare and things like that, 
Um, you don't get all the you know newest toys during Christmas. You don't just get all the things that you admire that's being marketed to you as a child. You want them, but you don't you don't have them. And I remember growing up, my mother would buy me those little boxes of Legos where you can build the little car, not the big Star Wars one where you had the Millennium Falcon and things like that, but the little boxes of Legos. And I never made what was on the box. I would just take those little boxes, which we could re afford those, and throw them in a suitcase. And anything I saw on television, I would go into the suitcase and build it. Wow. And so growing up in that environment helped me to uh, create and yeah. just be creative. You know, never had the money to get the new bike. So I would just take parts from all my different friends' bikes and things like that and build a bike. And, you know, it's just like filmmaking. You know, you don't have enough time. You don't have enough money. You got to be creative. You got to figure it out. Yeah. Um, so I started my filmmaking journey before I even knew about film. You know, it's funny when you say build the shirt that you don't have. I remember we had these little um, <laughs> hugs, right? There were these juice boxes that we had when I came in Philadelphia. Yeah. And they had just came out with this bike called the Sonic 6, which made like the motorcycle noise. My mom wouldn't get it for me. My uh -huh. dad couldn't because my dad was in jail at the time. And I took a hug bottle and I figured out that the hug bottle made the motorcycle noise. So I put the hug bottle underneath my back tire, like where the brakes was. Right. And I rode with my friends that had the Sonic 6. And for a while, <laughs> they thought I had the Sonic 6. Right. Kev got one too. And then they right. was like, what's that in the back? What's the that Sonic with your 4. back wheel? Like, that's, a, that's, what, that's, what my, that's what the noise coming from that makes me right. feel like I got what y'all got. Right. But coming up in that environment, it was okay. It was, it, was, it was something that we all accepted, right? Like if you did yeah. have, you did your best to create the closest thing to it. Uh, and that creative engine sparks the world of creativity that doesn't stop, right? Exactly. Um, where, where did the first opportunity, what was the first big break and you're directing opportunity, right? We're talking about being 16. Now that, of course, we're talking about getting older and saying, okay, well, how am I going to do this? In your mind, what was the first thing that acted as your defining moment to say, I'm going to be a director? Well, it started, as, I started off kind of as a cameraman. And um, like I said, you get that hustle from the streets. And um, I, I created a resume and I had all these projects from high school and I just took high school off of my resume and went to this one. <laughs> I know, I know. Hey, listen, you had to do what you had to do. You don't have a degree. You better figure it out. Right. So, yeah, I did. Uh, so yeah. I, 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 I walk into the moon. You guys ever see that? Well, I did that. That's one of mine. Yeah. Just a list. Hey, of listen, yeah. it's just a list. Yeah, I didn't I lie. It. I just left out high school. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I just remember my first a big break as a cameraman. I was 19 years old. And um, wow. I submitted this impressive resume. And uh, <laughs> I, I remember going into this production space where they had maybe eight cameramen. Everyone's wearing black. They had all these massive cameras laying on the floor with all this equipment. And um, it's one thing if you studied on high school equipment. Yeah. That's one thing. Yeah. I walked in this space and they had all this new equipment, high-tech stuff, Sony cameras, um, kind of similar to this stuff here, and I had no idea how to use it. Shit. And I just remember this guy, he was a good guy in hindsight. Um, I think he knew I was full of shit. He just kind of... <laughs> <laughs> he, he, I, I walked in, I had it on all black, and he said... Um, 
So, I know you already know about this button. This turns it on. And this does the white balance. I'm like, sure, of course I do. And then he says, and you know that this does this and this does that. And he kind of just by default kind of walked me through how to do this because he, he saw that I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. They ended up putting me on stage as camera number one. Now, they had seven other choices, yeah. but they put me on stage similar to this. And um, there was a big musical performance. And um, I just started doing all these crazy camera moves and things like that. And they kept saying, cut back to camera one, cut back to camera one, cut back to camera one. And um, that was one of my first big breaks because after that, they they loved kind of some of the weird stuff I was doing. Mm -hmm. It was kind of new to them mm -hmm. and creative. And they just kept hiring me over and over again. And then um, because... I was successful in that field. I was able to save up enough money to do a short film. Okay. Um, or at least most of the money. And so most people think that I come out of music videos and then decided to do film, but the opposite is true. Okay. I decided to uh, make film when I was 16, but I only had access to television equipment. And um, I made a short film called Divided We Fall. Okay. It was a drama. Um, and... You know, if you see my movies, if you look closely, there's a common theme that runs through them, and it's being bringing people together. Mm -hmm. And um, I wasn't able to finish it; I didn't have the money to finish it, and so I started doing music videos to help fund the finishing the short film. Mm -hmm. And um, I would show the trailer to all these artists and everyone who would listen um, to help me finish this thing. I'd literally wrote letters to the CEO of Kodak, the CEO of, um, of, of Panavision. Hustle. And the hustle, this exactly. The hustle. And I was like, could you help me make my short film? This is about the community. Can you do this thing? And they let me use all their equipment. And back in the day, those cameras, the film cameras, like a quarter million dollars. Mm -hmm. We had a Luma cranes and things like that. And so I was able to shoot part of it. And then um, I ran out of money. And uh, I did a music video with Dub C., and Ice Cube, mm -hmm. and um, which of course had a relationship with Ice Cube started. That's how it's, it started. That's how it started. Mm -hmm. Did a few mu music videos with him, and then one day he was like, "Why don't we do a feature length picture?" And I'm like, "Yeah, of course. We're, this is what I'm doing a short film for." And that's how Friday came about. You know, it's amazing how dots connect that you don't see, right? Like you're talking about the scrap and scrape mindset attached to okay well you know i'm making money from this opportunity as a cameraman but my bigger vision is attached to directing i got the story i got the script i'm going to do this to do this and mm -hmm. then it has to be a pause i got a pause because i don't have the money but i don't not want to do it right so i got to find a way to make the money holy shit opportunity comes up to direct the video you don't even see the opportunity being attached to this other this other creative mind whose want is attached to doing things in the film business. His want is to go and take his talent of writing and his creativity attached to funny and bring it to the big screen somehow. And two young hungry minds connect at a bottom level where they go, fuck it. What was the fuck it? What was the, okay, we're going to do it. How are we going to do it? Like, was there a game plan at first? Was Cube somewhat connected a little bit? Like, how did, how did the Friday... Like, what was the real birth of it? Because, of course, we know that there was a script. We know there was an idea. There was no great. script. There was no script. So Cube didn't even have the script done. No. It was just no. an idea. No. Um, 
he went on. He was on tour. Okay. And I think that um, again, I, he was one of the guys that I went to to help with this um, this short film. Mm-hmm. And we had experience experience success with the with the um, music video. It was a good day. Okay. And that was kind of a short film in itself. Absolutely. You know, today was a good day. It was like a day in the life, and I was able to kind of, you know learn a little more about some of the technical uh, side of shooting and, you know, working with a massive crew and helicopters and police and all this type of stuff. But how that came about is he gave me a call and he was like, you know, Robert Townsend just did a film on credit cards and, and, and begged, borrowed and stale to do this. Um, and I think also Inkwell, not Inkwell, there, there, there was another film that someone did on a shoestring budget, and he, he said, I know you want to make a, you, a feature film, and I wasn't even thinking about a comedy, because um, I was thinking about, you know, what change can I bring to my community? That's what Divided We Fought was about, and he says, I want to do a comedy, and um, we can do it in the neighborhood. Cube grew up like a few miles away from me, and we can do it in the neighborhood, and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, let's, let's try that. And I was 23 years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, he knew, just like with the music videos, that I was really technically advanced, but I also knew the culture. And I was very rare to have someone who knew mm-hmm. the culture mm-hmm. and knew the hood mm-hmm. and knew kind of what was authentic about being in that space, but also technically knew what they were doing. Because I think the, the the music video director for Strata, Strata Compton was British. And so they weren't like brothers actually yeah, they didn't know. directing back. They didn't know. They didn't know. All <laughs> your money I've been holding in your fist like this. That's not. No, you can't. <laughs> right, right. That's not how and we I'm gonna take you thing away from yeah, it, but yeah. but um, <laughs> there there was just something more that they they would get from working with me. They mm-hmm. they um, I would never pay myself. I would always take my director's fee and put it into production. Mm. And so instead of shooting 16 millimeter, we would shoot 35 millimeter. We would have helicopters. I would give them something that felt more cinematic Mm -hmm. than just kind of like guys standing in front of a camera and rapping to a camera. It's like, how can I bring meaning even ever so slightly, even ever so slightly, like today was a good day. I didn't just do it because it was a music video. It was, the meaning behind it is like today I didn't even have to use my AK. I had to say it was a good day. It was like the day he didn't have problems with the police, the day he didn't have to resort to gun violence. That meant something to me. Mm-hmm. And if you look at Friday, um, even though comedy wasn't my, my the, 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 the genre that I gravitated to, I love comedies, but who knew if I could do it? Um, when you look at that movie, we maybe not so elegantly focused on gun violence too. You know, put the guns down, maybe fight it out so you can live mm-hmm. to fight another day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That wasn't in the original script. That's something I took from Divided We Fall and injected into Friday mm-hmm. so it had some meaning. Um, and, and you'll see that with Strata Compton as well. They came to me to actually do that movie and I said no initially because I was just like I don't want to make Strata Compton because it was it, it could turn out like CB4 it's like dudes with Jerry Curl wigs and yeah. you know yeah. and, and, well, you so know how do I how do I tap into the art of it how do I yeah, tap into the depth yeah, of the story yeah it's just something with meaning I told them hey listen you know this movie is much 
bigger than the group. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can make a kind of a video or a, a movie about kind of foul mouth kids and low riders and, you know, women dancing in front of the camera, but I'm not interested in that. I said, you know, I wanted to understand the why yeah. a 16 year old would write those lyrics. Mm-hmm. If we can get to the why, then that's something I would do. Mm-hmm. So I know you were asking about Friday, but that came about, I was 23 years old. I read the script. He was sending me pages from the road when he, when he was on tour. And I was like, oh, this is good. This is cool. This is funny. Um, I imagined it in the hood I grew up in. So we shot it on my block where I wow. grew up. So uh, Craig's house was my, my, my friend Chris, Chris Tyson's house. And where... Um, How many favors? Uh, How many neighborhood favors? Oh, you know, that's a smart, that's an interesting question. Why you sound shocked that I would have an interesting question? <laughs> like, what was that? Because, man, you, 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 you've been living a good life for so long. I don't, I don't know, know, bro. What the fuck was that? Did you ever yeah. see that? Wow, Kev. I know. A, you've been living a good life for a long time. That's an interesting question, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do remember going to um, the neighborhood. I'll just call it the neighborhood mm-hmm. and speaking to about 40 guys. We all went up to the junior high school, and I said, we're shooting here, and we don't want any trouble. Yeah, yeah. And these guys I grew up with, and they said, yeah, you, 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 of course, you have a pass, and we'll keep this place safe, and you, don't have, you won't have any issues. Yeah. And so they kept that whole set protected until we stopped shooting. (laughs) And then, like, the moment we stopped shooting, it was popping again. It was popping. But you know what's crazy? I mean, that's also a decision that that I feel like, you know, the the hood doesn't get enough... uh, They don't get a lot of light for the understanding of who we're choosing Mm. and backing to represent us and to go further, right? And when that choice is made, whether it's the athletic talent that is flourishing, whether it's your academic talent that's in the hood. They're identified early on as your possible stars that can go above and beyond. And the choice to keep them out of the shit or keep the shit away from them, it really is like a a well-thought-out choice. I I wish I could say that the involvement, uh, my involvement in the hood was significant, but it was my brother that put in all the work and I was the one that was given the passes to go to school and go to the Northeast and hopefully become or do. I was on the swim team, et cetera. Right. And it was accepted. I was right. still cool and they still loved me, but I never had to partake in the dumb shit. And they, they really right. did do a good job of keeping the dumb shit away from me. So when you say having that conversation, not many can have that conversation. No. That's a real testament to who you were at the time right. and to how they saw you to say, no, we got it. We'll make sure that you're good so you can finish the project. Right. And literally in doing that, to have the security that we're okay and everybody's fine, that's yeah. a big fucking deal. It's a big deal. That's a big deal. It's, it's definitely a big deal. And I give props to them because, um, like I said, they made it really safe. And um, to this day, it's funny. They, ha- You know the Hollywood tours where they take people on the bus mm-hmm. and they go. So they go back to my neighborhood and they take picture uh, pictures of Craig's house, and uh, even my house where I grew up, because you know the scene where they had uh, Tiny Lister who played Debo, yeah, and um, they had that moment where 
I think he's, you know, DJ Pooh gets knocked down. He's like, you got knocked the yeah. fuck out. That was my house. Right there where I grew up, right city. in front of my house. Yeah. And and so that little area is now famous because of the decision they made to let us do it there. Well, I mean, look, there's a lot of things that are famous that are attached to Friday. Uh, I think the <laughs> biggest thing that you tapped in, though, the biggest thing that you tapped on, of course, was the the story and then the underlying definitions that some would miss, right? Like when you're talking yes. about use your hands, you're talking about the concept of yes. live to see another day. Yes. Uh, you were looking, you were basically dealing with people who are using their creative resources to put out different feelings or messages of positivity. Right. With that, it becomes received. It becomes a hood classic. Holy shit, F. Gary Gray is attached <laughs> to a movie that's now went on to create crazy conversations uh, in multiple different um, you know, hoods across the world that relate, that understand. Sure. But from this, will more opportunities come? At this point, what I want to know is, is there a fear that was attached to taking on the next possible project? Because right now, there's a good conversation attached to you. So when it comes, of course, the opportunity changes because the number attached to the project, your mm. responsibility in handling and operating that money. Sure. Uh, when was there a point, or if there was a point, of possible fear of, I can't fuck this up. Am I in a position to do this correctly? Or am I okay with figuring out as I go on, as I've done since I've basically been doing it to get to this stage? Um, the fear came just with making Friday because we only had 20 days to shoot it. Mm -hmm. We had four or five day periods and that was it. That's it. And we had the threat of me being fired if I went over budget or over schedule. What was the budget? What's your budget for Friday? Million dollars. Million dollars. Yes. 20 days, million dollars. Uh, 20 days, a million dollars. And it was, they they wrote it up as one of the most profitable movies in 1995. 1,000%. Yeah. So the return on investment, yes. which I know you know a lot yes. about. It was, it was great. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't make sense. There's Shark no ROI. Right. right. The, the ROI the was popping. But, but we had no idea that it was going to do that, honestly. Mm -hmm. I hear these, uh, I've gone on YouTube and seen Chris Tucker tell the story about how he and Faison Love watched the first cut and they thought their careers were over. And they were like, oh, this is not working. And then I thought, damn, my career's over <laughs> before, before it even started. It's but, a triple um, effect. Yeah, no, the, 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 there was no fear for the next one, which was set it off. Um, that movie... You're confident going into it? I'm confident because... More Gold Mines with Kevin Hart after this. Hey, world, what's going on? Kevin Hart here, and I've got something huge to kick off your new year. Get ready for Lift. The heist movie of the year is going to take you all the way up to 40,000 feet. In the movie, I play Cyrus Whitaker, a master thief with an incredible international crew who is racing against time to snatch 500 million in gold from a passenger plane. Yes, you heard it right, a flying plane. This is directed by the legendary F. Gary Gray, who bought us the classic thriller, The Italian Job. Lyft has everything you love in a heist film. We've got the tactics to the bad guys, the gadgets, and the stakes that are higher than you've ever seen. And I do mean that literally. Join me in a star-studded cast with Google and Botheraw, Ursula Cabero, and Vincent D'Onofrio. Guys, we got many more amazing actors and actresses in this movie. Trust me, this is a film that you do not want to miss. And guys, I got to be honest, you get to see a different side of me, the savant, the mastermind, while also giving you guys the humor and heart and action that I know you need. Buckle up, prepare, guys, because we got a thrilling ride coming your way with Lyft, only on Netflix, January 12th. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, 
hanging in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. We return to Gold Mines, hosted by Kevin Hart. I'd always knew that I could tell different stories mm-hmm. and different genres. Spielberg was one of um, my inspirations. And, um, you know, I watched a lot of his movies coming up. And he just kind of bounced around different genres and things like that. And, and, and that was an inspiration. So I didn't have any representation when I did Friday. Mm. And so a lot of the agency were agencies were looking to represent me. And I said, well, whoever can bring me an action film, a more serious film, um, that's who could represent me. And you, who was, uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember at the time, I, I think it was ICM. ICM okay. at the time came with set it off. And, um, I picked it up right away, got the movie right away, went straight into production. Wow. By the way, great use of snaps. Thank you. No, no I'm serious. <laughs> Thank like, you. I've, Thank I've you. never Thank fucking you. seen <laughs> yeah, just a more right snappier snap. Fucking, yeah. Hey, I'm on F, it. When I say that shit, hey, at me, I don't. Yeah, I got, yeah, I got yeah, little items right. there. Set the door and go, right. bow, did this. Bow, Wake like, up. Fuck, yeah, you Wake did. Up. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you did. That's <laughs> right. So, oh, and that's funny. At some point, we'll get into this. But you know how I direct is in flow. You know how they had those conversations about um, sports stars who get into flow. And, you know, for instance, if you play basketball, they say sometimes the, the hoop feels like it's the, the, the size of a swimming pool. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm into rhythm. That's my film school. Mm-hmm. Earth, Wind, and Fire, they're my professors. And so when you say the snap got you going, yeah. well, you know what it took me back to? It took me to our process because you're connected as well. And there will be times where I would do just gestures. I didn't have to go into this big Shakespearean uh, conversation about motivation to get you going for this role. I would do gestures and hands and do this and that, and you would be right on the same frequency mm-hmm. and you would make the adjustment. So sorry I went off on a tangent, but those snaps mean something. No, no, no. This, it, wo- it, wo- it woke your ass it's up. No, it's no tangent. It's all, <laughs> it's all, it's all connectivity. I, I like the great use of what it did and what it meant, right? Um, and before we go into like yeah. the reporter you and I that we had, that we built, yes. that we discovered. Yeah. Um, I want to keep telling the story and, and just give people an opportunity just to understand, like, you know, the journey. And I and I stand on yes. this. Every time we do this, this podcast, and I have guests on here, I'm more about someone's journey than I am about the highlighting of the success today. Like, sure. We can all see what the bells and whistles that are attached today are, sure. are attached to today, but understanding the journey, when you hear the scrape, the hustle, I didn't know. I was there. I said, fuck it. I'm going to figure it out. I didn't know how to use these cameras. Somebody gave me a quick run over, and I said, all right, let me go and do some creative shit with the camera that I just feel they may respond to. And then in responding, it landed me this opportunity. I met this guy. This guy ended up becoming a close friend. We shot this video. I took my money. I put it back in the video. I didn't receive profit. What you're listening to, you're listening to somebody that's determined on getting to the end result. And whatever it takes to get to the end result, I'm committed to doing because I'm that confident 
in what I know I can do. Mm. That's the understanding that I'm taking away, and that's what I'm loving. And as we talk sure. about set it off, and you're like, look, I said the first agent that can bring me said thing, that's action, that gives me another like another piece of like off to sink my teeth into from a sure. creative space, that's who I'll go with. You get this thing. You do it. What was the budget for set it off? Nine million dollars. Nine million dollars. That's a fucking big jump at this time. Where what year? What year were you? This was ninety six. Ninety six. Ninety six. Yeah. So you're now in business with the studio. The studio now yep. saw saw the work that you did. There's a return attached on the movie. Of course, it didn't reach the numbers that it did later on because it just kept going and building and building. Mm -hmm. But now we go. Okay, we feel that this guy is capable of taking a $9 million budget, delivering this film in how long? What was your, what was the time of the shoot? 39 days. 39 days. A big jump from the from the 20 that you had? Yes. It, well, it depends on how you look at it. Okay. You got to remember, Friday was shot on a porch. Yeah. Yeah. So it's one thing to shoot on a porch for 20 days. It was hard. But when you have multiple action sequences, like, for instance, with set it off we locked down wilshire boulevard mm -hmm. so and, and i don't know if you remember i remember this whole movie like the back of my hand the the there's a, a sequence where <laughs> <laughs> sorry I, sorry i felt i'm not gonna call. live that down right, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> i won't live that down no uh there, there was a sequence that we we locked down wilshire boulevard where they're robbing a bank and queen latifah comes and saves the day where she you know, blast through with a suburban, mm -hmm. rushes into mm -hmm. the bank, you know, grabs uh, the crew and then smashes onto Wilshire Boulevard. And, and we only had one take to do that. Wow. And so normally with uh, an, an action film that has that much action and gunfire and gunfire and, and, and stunts and, as you know, everything that we put into it, it takes longer. So on a normal budget with a normal schedule, that would have been a 60-day schedule mm -hmm. but we did it in 39 and um you know one take for this one take for that um some of the the approach in terms of the shots and things like that were dictated not just by creativity but just by necessity you only have one take to do this scene and i have you know four actors that i have to cover so yeah. i have to be really creative by getting that coverage so Set it off was um, it was a great experience, but it was tough as well. Well, right now the the segue that I'm getting to is the transition from the guy that was just behind the camera, understanding the camera, to the guy that's now communicating with talent. Yes, right? and you know from Friday, of course, you're communicating, and that's with comedic talent. You started off doing your first film, and that was more of a drama, but now the the talent sure. and your role that you're playing with the talent <laughs> well it's it's extremely valuable right so yes. so at this point under the pressure wow. needing to get everything in the timeline that you need to get it to how did you feel about the way that you were communicating with your actors and actresses at that point awful yeah awful how'd you know that though i'm a it, fucking i'm great at what i do that's it you see what i'm saying i'm starting to figure that out this is like yeah. what i do yeah man. no it, it, it was a thing because it's one thing if you're talking to ice cube um it, it was a journey for him though too because you remember he did boys in the hood and he was kind of you know the tough guy mm -hmm. and you know playing a com comedy mm -hmm. so transitioning from you know the nigga you love to hate which was that album mm -hmm. to a comedic straight guy that was a, a a bit of a journey for him, but by the way, no rapper has done it since. Hmm. I want to make that very clear. Wow. When you when I say that, I'm saying you can arguably say Snoop 
has partaken in the conversation of gangster gangster rap and merging it with personality performances or character sure. performances. But there's never been a lead where Snoop has been responsible for driving a story comedically. Right. Ice Cube has done it time after time again, and he's never compromised the integrity of the thing that you all believe mm -hmm. and have known him to. Right. Since then, it's a fear and a hesitation of most, right? LL Cool J, he went to TV, and he's done a TV show for a lot of years, but it's never really been a compromise of the LL Cool J that we've all known right. and that we've loved. So right. people going the complete opposite and being able to go back and forth, you don't see, you don't see many do it at the highest level. Right. So to your point of saying like it was tough for Cube at first, I can get it. I can understand it. Right. I'm more concerned though you, and you're going, okay, fuck, how do I say what I think you should do and like not say it wrong? Because you don't have that experience at a high level now. No, no, it, you know, Everybody was afraid of Cube at the time in terms of just his persona and rap. And so you have Chris Tucker, who's just a comedian, who's like bullying him into smoking weed. Yeah. <laughs> and so you just don't expect the skinny guy to bully Ice Cube, but that was the role, and they played it well. With Set It Off, I, the reason why I say awful is because I just didn't have... I, 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 <laughs> I wasn't articulate enough just in, in the, the, the game of making movies to get the type of performances that I got. Mm -hmm. And so I remember one particular moment that I look back and I was like, I was, I was wrong for that. I, I, I remember needing a really dramatic moment from Jada Pinkett. Mm -hmm. She had just went through something really dramatic. And I said... Um, I, I needed her to cry, and I got a clamshell, which is like this the equivalent of like a video uh, screen and videotape, and I went to her and I said, I want you to do this. I showed her Denzel Washington in Glory, where he's getting his ass whooped, and then he does this tear thing, and I'm like, I want you to do this. It's the worst way to direct. Yeah. If you know, thank you. He's like, what? Yeah. Exactly what? I'm a 26-year-old kid that knows what I want, but I just don't know how to articulate. I know what I need, but um, you learn over time when you work with legends and you study and you audit acting classes. Again, it's just, you know, when you, you don't have that film school thing, um, you're good at certain things, you're not good at others, and, and set it off. I learned a lot. The, the, they were great. Um, we got probably one of the most emotional um, performances that I've I've created in Latifah. Absolutely. And um, so there was a raw there was a rawness to it that that Absolutely. I love. I love the outcome, but I think the process um, I could have been a little better. Well, the the dope thing about you even speaking on that right is the to be aware. <laughs> to be aware is golden. To not be aware is the worst shit ever, right? Like, to actually understand where you were flawed. Yeah. Uh, once again, we're going back to the purpose behind the podcast. is to give you information, to give you gems. And sometimes the best way to correct the flaws are to operate in a manner of just not being aware as to where they exist. Because when you do the shit wrong, sometimes it comes out right, and then you get better for the next opportunity, and you're, you're slowly learning about the world that you just jumped into. 
And everybody's perception sometimes from the outside is that it happens so fast. <laughs> the director's talent is just as important as the actors and actresses because how you build that relationship from day one to the rap with your talent, how you guys build a trust in one another, it's all about this. It's all about the yin and yang. And the guy that I worked with on Lyft, which we will get into, our rapport from day one mm -hmm. as to, hey, man, I'm not here to be the big star. I'm operating under your control. You got that. I got no desire to operate in a space of control. I don't want to tell you shit. I want to support your shit. I set the tone from the top. Mm -hmm. So, granted, there were times where F, you know, where I was like, all right, all right, F, goddamn. <laughs> Kev, I need that again. That was ass. <laughs> but we got comfortable enough where he could say, that was shit. That's ass. <laughs> Kev, come on, you got better than that. Go, give me a second. Take a deep breath. Take two. We're going to come back, but I need you. Like, it's not where it's supposed to be. And that honesty, that transparency, put us in a place where we know when we rap, oh, we got some shit in there. Yeah. We got some shit in there. But getting to that place, well, that's a that's a that's a road. That's a journey. Now, I wanna skip. I wanna skip now and I wanna go I wanna go to the Italian job. Okay. Here's why I wanna go to the Italian job. Sure. At this point, you've proven yourself just in being able to handle and manage on behalf of castes with bulk. You got cast that have five, six characters, uh, set it off, had a fresh four that you had to tell the stories on behalf of with a man whose story was important and coming from the outside. Mm -hmm. uh, you had one with the, the turmoil of what am I going to do, the family. You had one that had the girlfriend and Queen Latifah. There were so many components that you had to tie in. But as a director, you showed that you can track that. The tie-in job comes up. You got the time to work with Mark Wahlberg, uh, you had uh, Jason, Statham, Jason Statham, Seth Green, uh, Most Deaf, Donald Sutherland. Who was that girl? Was it Charlie Charlie Theron? Yeah, right, exactly. I mean, you're now. Well, you done you done jumped. Yes, right. There's a big jump. Like there's sure. a lot of credibility, and there's a lot of goddamn weight movement in this particular group. Yes. Now let's go to the conversation of how did you approach that one? All right. Well, I got out of this one. I got out of that one, but now you know. I'm moving up. This is a much bigger budget. Much bigger. Much bigger budget. Yes. I mean, and you're now shooting on a location. Yes. Yes, you're now. I'm global. Yes, you're out of the you're out of the comfort zone of the U.S. We come on, we going over here. That's true. That's so right. now, how are you approaching this opportunity? Because well, it just keeps growing. It's not getting smaller. It's getting bigger. Yeah. What's the world of of your mind at this point? Taking on this project. Well, um, I made the negotiator, um, which 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 was a step up from from set it off. What was negotiator? That was uh, fifteen. Was the budget budget for negotiator? Um, I don't remember. Okay, but it was much bigger than set it off, and um, I remember getting a call from the head of Paramount at the time, Sherry Lansing, and they wanted me to come in and pitch. An idea for this new heist movie. How are you taking these calls when you get them? Are your, are your legs crossed? What are you doing? What's the what's the level? Because right now, you know, I know how I take calls. Like now, mm. that's now, how Kevin you take them today. now. This is no. how I take calls today. today. What do you want to talk about? That's how, I, that, Kev. I'm gonna talk to you about what? I ain't got the time. What you want to talk about? 
I want to pitch you something. You got 20 seconds. Oh That's my, my thing, right? I got demands. Oh, my God. I got demands now. You got 20 seconds. And if I don't get in the 20 seconds, you got to get the fuck out. That's how I talk to these people. <laughs> so how are you taking these calls, F? What are you saying, <laughs> Tom? You on the head? You on the phone with the head of the studio? Yeah. This is how it is to work with him, by the way. He has me crying. <laughs> so funny. Um, I, You know, I, I, I took the call, and they said, we have, um, you know, we have this movie, mm -hmm. and we want you to come in, and I think they gave me a day to prepare. Wow. Prepare with your, with your overview, your visuals. Your breakdown, what you would do to make this movie special. You got a yeah, day. presentation. Okay. <laughs> and remember, um, a day is not a lot of time no. when you're prepping to do an $80 million movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Look at the jump. For my listeners, look at the jump. Look where we started off. We started off shooting his own movie. We didn't even discuss that budget, but I'm going to assume that budget probably was like 50 grand. What was it? What was your the short one film? you were putting together? The short film? Six grand. Six grand. I jumped. <laughs> Look at me. I jumped out the window. I jumped out the window. I, I don't know why. My perception of money has changed over the course of these years. I just want to say I apologize. And I understand that it's six grand, but we went from six grand. We went from a million dollars. We went to nine million. Negotiator is a TBD, but I'm going to assume... Anything in that twenty to thirty? Okay, you're gonna go forty. All right. So now we're 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 at eighty. We're 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 approaching that that hundred number of responsibility. Yes. By the way, at this time, you're talking about the biggest bets that studios are taking. You're talking about yes. You're talking about a black director, right? And and I I got to make sure I say this in the most commercial way that I possibly can. Right, because I I like I like the conversation attached to we need more, we want to see more, but I also never want to minimalize the opportunities that one has created and made that ultimately have opened the door for others to come through. At this point, the conversation of men of color behind the lens operating with budgets is such. It's not a conversation that's happening often. This is a very big fucking deal, not just for the studio. But for him, if he fucks this up, director jail is where they go. Director jail is real. That's I actually true. have some directors That's that I've true. bailed out as of late from director jail that are some of my closest friends. But it's real. So I know what that pressure is to date. But looking back on it, I mean, how are you? Hey, you got a day to prepare. You come up with this presentation. Yeah. Knock it out the park, obviously. Well, it, it, it was a different process because um, it's the equivalent of, of, of auditioning. Yeah. So they had five other guys that they were going to meet with as well. And so you know you're on this list. And um, like you said, there are not a lot of brothers on that list for budgets this big because I don't think anyone up to that point had made a budget that big. This is a big moment. Yeah. It's also a moment where if we want to say anything to those directors that you beat out, this is a perfect time to <laughs> if you wanna snap and say gotcha bitch, anything. <laughs> if you wanna say anything like that, uh, I can I can create this in the edit and it'll be really no good. No comment. Okay. No right, comment. Gotcha. You're right. Let's stay away from that. All right, let's stay away from that. Okay. So you're this is the audition, like you said. This it's, it's the audition mm -hmm. and I said, you know, uh, the one thing that you have to do in the audition process as you know, is stand out. 
and show that you're passionate because there's a lot of money involved. There's a lot of people's jobs are on the line. Um, they're not looking to do you, you know, any favors. They want to make sure they're going to make something that's going to get a return on investment and it's going to be creative and that can attract the cast. And so um, I remember going in and showing this digital presentation of the Mini Coopers racing through the streets of New York. And I said, you know, this is what you'll get. I put together a digital presentation and the Mini Coopers, it was the new version of Mini Coopers. So to have a new design of the Mini Coopers in 3D wow. racing through the streets of New York in 24 hours, wow. they were blown away. They're like, it would normally take you months yeah because the technology just didn't exist and they were just they just kind of marveled at how i was able to put together a presentation of their movie in 24 hours mm. and um how i did that was i it's kind of goes back to the hustle thing i took a clamshell i plugged in a playstation i got the grand turismo a video game and I picked the Mini Coopers and I recorded racing through the streets of New York and then I sent it to an editor, put titles on it, put the Italian job and pretended like I did a full on presentation of their movie. This is also a good time. I want I want you guys to understand F is a he's the highest level of a nerd. Like, listen, I, I want you guys to understand. Like, he I'll is, take that. He is the highest, like, when it comes to this technology yeah. and it comes to the idea of the new and the the systems that are here, current, like, like his love is in aviation. The the yes. simulator he has that he flies. He is the highest level. Like, I've never seen anybody geek out more on visuals, technologies, and how I'm going to see it. Yes. Like, you got to think, everything is in the director's head. So you can never, like, act like you don't see what they see. Like, 80% of the time, I didn't know what the fuck he was looking at. He would close his eyes and go, this is how the plane's going to go. And then they're going to come in like this and we're going to land. But there's not here. So you're going to be here. And this world, when it comes together, over here is where that door opens and then we'll see it. And he opened up his eyes. I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> like, I, hell yeah, I see it. Uh, so you give them the visual. They buy into it. Uh, you get the job. Now yes. you're working with the bigger level of talent well, going into it. No. Okay, give it to me. This is 2003, something like that. Okay. So Wahlberg wasn't a big star at the time. Okay. Nor was Jason Statham. He had just come off Snatch. Okay. He wasn't a big, you know, movie star. Mm -hmm. um, Seth Green had a little traction in television. Most Def was in music. And Charlize, um, she hadn't won an Oscar yet. Mm -hmm. These are all big stars now. Yeah. At the time, they were growing um, as talent. Now, of course, they had, um, you know, they're popular, but not as popular as they are now. And so um, I was lucky enough to get the cast that I wanted, um, work with a legend in, not only like this in D'Onofrio and Lyft, but um, working with Donald Sutherland. <laughs> and he worked with one of my favorite directors, Frederico Fellini, mm -hmm. um, this Italian director who was just absolutely amazing. And so um, you brought it up earlier of being able to kind of take the production on a road 
and go to Venice, Italy and shoot there and shoot in the Dolomites in the Italian Alps. And that's a whole nother process mm -hmm. because now you're dealing with crews that come from 10 different countries. So I remember we were in the Italian Alps and I walk out of the trailer and I have multiple ADs who speak different languages to communicate and execute the vision, but to communicate to the crew in different languages. And it was 30 below zero and I come out in this space suit and a mask and I'm waddling over to the crew. And then I pulled down my mask and I start talking and they're looking at me like, damn, it's a black dude. And, then, and it's, you know, it's, at the time you just wouldn't see this massive crew in Europe and, you know, black face yeah. in the chair, you know, a, a, a black, uh, black director um, in that environment. And so I'm, you know, kind of barking out all these orders to my ADs who spoke, spoke different languages and they would communicate in different languages to the different um, parts of the crew um, to execute what we we're trying to do. And so it was a completely different experience. Um, but it, it it was phenomenal to take it on to on the road. And that's part of the learning part of it. I love to learn. So with the technology, I learn with the stunts, I learn, but also when you're traveling, you learn about different cultures. Mm -hmm. And it's one thing to grow up in the hood on the block. It's a whole nother thing where you're in a village in Austria and uh or 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 in italy and um that again nur nourishes just me as a, a person mm -hmm. and as a creative mm -hmm. yeah i i man i love just the direction that we're taking this conversation in and i mean you know we could talk all day about the success behind the movies that you've done and and how those opportunities came um but i want to just make note that they the building Right, they constantly build. Mm -hmm. Now I want to get to I want to get to lift. Sure. Now, right, and All right. you know, and getting to lift. What what I want to go back to, which is what I said earlier. You know, there were commitments that you and I made early on, um, and one of the commitments that you were standing on is that you want to make this movie different and special for me. You want to be able to show me through a different lens with a different performance. Right, leading man. You want to put a stamp on what you feel the perception attached to Kevin Hart in a action, thriller, uh, storytelling component. Here's what it should be. Right. Here's what I was able to pull out. Um, and literally, like, from day one to what you're talking about is, like, interviewing. I remember you came over with just how you saw the movie taking its shape, where you saw it playing, how you saw the action breaking down. Um, there was just a high level of energy put into the work before the work. Right. You approached it with the mindset of, I'm going to do a bunch of work here so everybody can understand how committed I am. Because when I'm in, I'm in. There is no, there is no hypothetical. When I say I'm 100%, that's what you're getting from me, 100%. Right. You stepped on that set every single day with the same attitude and the same one. Mm -hmm. My question to you is what was your defining moment through the process of filming Lyft of understanding that, okay, the light bulb, we got something special here. When did it click? Like I know there's a duration of shooting and I know now we've seen our movie in full. And sure. I know that there's an editing process that you go through. But right. while doing it, was there or when was there a moment where you said, oh, we got some good shit here? 
Because, of course, on a paper, it can be whatever you want. But sure. once you see all the actors and actresses come together, there has to be some type of moment of realization. For you, what was it? The moment of realization, I, you know, I, I think that happens at different points in the process. I don't know if it happens um, squarely when you're shooting. Um, but I do think that there's a, there were a couple moments when you settled into the character because you were you you were making I think probably the biggest transition mm-hmm. out of everyone and I, I and if I could take you back just a little bit I remember um, getting a call from Brian Smiley the president of your company and um, he kept calling kept calling and I was just like yeah I'm I'm not sure but he was like brother what's going on like what's happening you know this is Kevin I'm like okay let me let me take a look at this but I called Tim's story because. Um, I, I, I wasn't sure at first, and I said, I heard a lot about Kevin. I heard he was a great guy. He's amazing to work with. Is all this true? He's like, it's all true. He's amazing to work with. He's the nicest guy. And I said, hmm, okay, because I've dealt with some challenging movies. Mm-hmm. I'll say that. And um, he wants to make this transition, and we really want you to be a part of this. So... I had, the script wasn't perfect. And I looked at the script and I had a lot of notes. And you said, hey, listen, I came and prepared. I actually came and prepared for you guys to say, no, we don't want him because he wants to change too much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I remember um, coming in and saying, if I do this movie, and I love aviation, like you said, I have, I'm, I'm, I'm a student pilot. I love to fly planes. Uh, I have a simulator at home. And so there was something that I loved about that, but I loved even more you making this transition and being a part of that. So when I sat and when I came to your your home and met with you, all of it was true. You're very, very kind, very enthusiastic, very passionate about making this transition. And when I showed you what I would do with what I read, you were like, I'm on board, let's go. And so then we had the Zoom with Kira Goldberg and um, and Simon um, Kinberg and, and the producers and everyone involved. And I said, here are my notes. And I think I had about 10 pages of notes. Are you guys okay with this? And they was like, yep, we're good. Let's do it. And so everybody agreed on the vision, and then we moved forward. And that that's kind of part of my thing. It's like, can I make this my own? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When I thought that this would be something that we could be proud of is I think when we put pulled together the the cast okay because that was super hard you know casting during COVID when you're looking at laptops and auditions on laptops and stuff like that it's very very rough when we pulled the cast together I knew that we were going to massage the script throughout the entire process but with this cast with D'Onofrio Google was my first choice Google was amazing in this project Google it was you know, my first choice and Billy Magnuson Billy's and, amazing and, and 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 again the legend and, and Vincent D'Onofrio amazing the cast is really what solidified it I knew I could put anything in front of them and they'd make it work mm-hmm. And so we had different, you know, triumphs throughout the process of shooting. But I think you settling in to this character where we know how much talent you have. We know you can come in and burn down a room. Um, But I also know how generous you are. And so you don't have to, like, 
tear the room down when you're in a room full of thespians. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You you were giving, and we know what Kevin can do. Mm-hmm. But Kevin came and did his leading man thing, and it was something I was really proud of. It's something I was proud to be a part of because another one of my motivations to do this movie is you normally see, even the old school movies were like Steve McQueen or George Clooney or, you know, Pierce Brosnan playing these roles, the mastermind in a heist movie. And I was like, Kevin is a mastermind in real life. Mm-hmm. Don't sleep on the comedy. He's building an empire mm-hmm. with all these different businesses and all these different things. And I said, I want to take what I know about you and put that on the screen because I think it would be inspiring. And so all of those things is what kind of add up to why I felt like this movie would work. You know, I, it's crazy that you say it because in, in the process of us executing it, there was an extreme amount of alignment, uh, not just between you and myself, the cast, the studio, right? I mean, you know, I think Netflix were unbelievable partners through this process Absolutely. because there, there's no process that presents itself uh, to be easy, right? <laughs> and you need some turbulence, pun intended. Uh, with the movie <laughs> Lift. Without it, then, you know, it's nothing to prove that we care about and that we want to make right. And I think, you know, uh, from Kara uh, to the rest of the team, just being a part of all of the important conversations and showing that we all are invested into the same thing and we want the same return out of it, right. which is a good movie. Um, and more importantly, a movie that will be pivotal for my next moves in my in my career. I can't wait for the audience to just see me take on a role of this magnitude um, and give a performance that's not just real, uh, real grounded, believable, but one of substance because of my surroundings, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a story that I feel everybody's going to respond to. And the visuals attached to the movie are some of the biggest that I've been a part of. Um, and remember, like, I've done some big movies, right? Like, you know, I was in Jumanji. That shit there, we had animals that never were on set that appeared in the <laughs> film. I'm like, well, where did that come from? How do right. we create that shit? And sure. there's a lot of things that go into that. But as far as the visuals from a action, mm-hmm. a action perspective and how you were able to execute um, from our fight scenes to just our background, mm-hmm. the drop, you know, I mean, literally, I've never been a part of a project as big. Um, sure. And dude, I gotta thank you. I gotta thank you from the bottom of my heart for not only taking on the project, but believing that I would do exactly what I said I would do. Cause ultimately we're gambling. Right. We're gambling by saying, I'm gonna take your word for it and I'm gonna show up to a 75 day shoot expecting you to give me your all every day so that I can know that I got what I need. It's a gamble. Right? Yes. I thank you for believing um, my words and I thank you for executing on yours hmm. and I think that together we now have something that we can sit back and look at and act as historic moments for the both of us we've never worked together Right. we discovered that we're damn near birthday twins we share the same sign That's right. we got the same likes the same <laughs> dislikes right. our patience level is the same and when we <laughs> pop versus when we don't there's so many similarities and 
there's now a friendship attached to the bond right. that's not just work. That's correct. And that's very hard to do in the business that we're in. It, it is, and I'll speak to that. Um, I called Kevin up on, or I actually texted him on Thanksgiving. I'm like, happy Thanksgiving. He's like, bro, what are you doing? You want to come over? You have, you have some way to eat? You need a plate? <laughs> and it was funny because I'm like, he thinks I have nowhere to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... I wasn't asking for a place to eat, but but he he immediately went to come over to my house and come have dinner with us. And I you know I went to go see my mom and stuff like that. But I did go to his house. Stop by. I just stopped by just to say hello. Yeah. And saw the whole the the whole setup and everything. And so, I, I did describe you and working with you as like working with your favorite cousin that has your back. You know, when you get in trouble, like you call your favorite cousin. It's like, a, it's time to get out. Like, we shoulder to shoulder, and we made that happen. Yeah. And um, it, it was a real great process in working with you as a partner. Because the one thing I think you got maybe a little wrong is my patient, um, people know I wear it on my, my, my face, and I got to work on that. Yeah. Um, you know how to... I can hide it. You can hide it. <laughs> yeah, I can hide it. <laughs> you can hide it, but I remember getting a couple calls like, "You know, people can see yeah, your face, yeah, right? You <laughs> right, that. right, right, right." You got to work on it. Yeah, you got to you got to work on that. It's Gene, really cause, strong. Cause if, I'm, if, if, if I'm disappointed, <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> I'll give the yeah. what the fuck was that look? But I don't know that. I, I don't see it. Yeah. He saw it, but he's real gracious about it. Like, hey. Come here, man. come over. Get a cup of coffee with me real quick. Come hey, on, man. Bro, bro. You, you got to stop. It was the an hey, listen. <laughs> I'll say this: you're very gracious in the process. Netflix was gracious as well because, you know, what people will forget is that we made this movie during COVID. Yeah, and that's something that's very new to all filmmakers. Making that, um, you know, the challenges of um, making a movie where you know the, the the cast and the crew were falling left and right from covid uh, we have to rewrite the script on the fly we have to wear masks um it it slows down the process every single country we shot in because we shot in belfast ireland and london england and trieste italy and venice italy everyone had different rules for us to land in their country so mm -hmm. covid rules were different and so some of us missed planes because of like visas and COVID vaccine things. And um, you'll never see that or feel that in the movie, but it was an extreme challenge to make this movie. And you always had a great attitude about it. The other thing that people will never know is just three countries over, they started a war. Yeah. So in Ukraine, they're, uh, test they're testing ICBM nuclear missiles mm -hmm. and we're nervous because London is a place where we're shooting and on the news they're, they're like well London would be the first place they strike if they're going to do a nuclear attack and so now you have you know a Kevin Hart movie and you're trying to have all this this great energy and you always brought the great energy but we're on the um, extreme we made the movie under extreme circumstances yes. it's pretty intense but you were always balanced. Trying my best to remove all of that stuff from our set. Remove the idea of what's yeah. happening there that we can't control into the idea of what we can. But I think you have to, I think it's worth mentioning though, because, you know, um, under no, normal circumstances, you know, you, 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 you can 
deliver this or that, but under extreme circumstances, when you deliver, I think people should get credit for that, and you guys did a great job. Well, thank you, man. I find a lot of comfort and discomfort, which is weird, but it's the truth. Uh, you know, when you're too comfortable, it's, it's, a, it's a feeling that I'm not best being comfortable with. When there is a little bit of, oh, shit, whoa, got to do, got to make this happen, mm. there's a different energy attached to that. Uh, so I like, I like operating in that regard. That's some um, Navy SEAL shit. Well, I mean, you know, I'm definitely, you know, I couldn't operate in that shit. Uh, that's that's too much know. discomfort. <laughs> they blowing shit up? Oh, shit. Wait. Oh, God. We lost the boat? I don't know. I... Oh, shit. Oh, God. Wait, they blew up the room with the weapons? Oh, oh shit. Yeah, that's too much. I uh, think you play too much, bro. Yeah, yeah. People... <laughs> Kevin has hands, and Kevin is trained. <laughs> Kevin, I, and I know that you you throw that that yeah, shit out there. I get there. you off me, but yeah. I, you know I, I get you up off me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't sleep on afterwards. Kevin. I'm running. I'm I'm all ass and afterwards. Bop, bop. Get the fuck out of here. Go, go. Uh, I hope what people take away from this conversation mm. is the progression. There was an amazing build uh, that you got to hear and a breakdown that's attached to the energy that this man has, uh, the energy that he brings, and the passion that he attaches his craft with. That's not earned. I mean, that's not given. It's earned, right? People develop that over a course of time. And the things that you end up working on the most are things that you're learning from that you can go and look back and simply correct on your own. Sometimes you don't need to be told what you're not doing or what you need to do or what else has to happen. Sometimes you can see it yourself. And when you see it yourself, you're your best teacher. You're your best teacher at providing yourself with an understanding of what the tools that will make the future better and brighter. Looking for the person to navigate, delegate, or tell you all the time. Sometimes it puts you in a position of wait. Create is a much better position. This is an example of creativity at a highest level. It's also an example of return. What you put into something, you ultimately will get out. And I got to be honest and say, it is an honor and a pleasure for me to be able to say that I have a F. Gary Gray movie under my belt in my career. That is a very big conversation for me. Thank you. Uh, and for those listening, if you're not educated on F. Gary Gray, please do me a favor and go educate yourself. Go look at his work. Look at where it started. Look at the world of videos that he's come from. Look at the beginning and look at the now. $2 billion in box office revenue is nothing to be frowned upon or overlooked. He's a part of a conversation that few are, uh, and that conversation is not ending. The scary part is he's still doing more and wants to do more. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Gold Mines. You know what we do here. We get inside the minds of amazing individuals. And today was no different. January 12th, mark your calendars. And today, mark the moment. This is Gold Mines. Please, one more time, give F. Gary Gray some love properly, guys. What an amazing guest. F, thank you, brother. Thank I appreciate you, you for coming on, man. This is exactly what it's supposed to be. Goddamn it, Gold Mines. A lot of gems will drop. Do yourself a favor and pick them up. Put them in your back pocket. Save them for later and pick up one in the time of need. I'm Kevin Hart, and I'll see you next time. Peace. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Gold Mines with Kevin Hart is a serious XM and Laugh Out Loud radio production. Executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, Mike Stein, Brian Smiley, Eric Eddings, and Eric Wyel. Produced by Danny Sellers and Leslie Guam. And engineered by Danny Sellers. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. 